Common Law Wives and Concubines, Essays on Covenantal Christianity and Contemporary Western Culture, Stephen C. Perks. This is a Reconstructionist radio production with lrnteach.com. Please visit kuiper.org forward slash books to download or purchase this book. Common Law Wives and Concubines, Essays on Covenantal Christianity and Contemporary Western Culture, Stephen C. Perks, 2010, Kuiper Foundation, Taunton, England, narrated by Nathan Conkey. Chapter 10. Idols for Destruction On the 31st of August 1997, Diana, the Princess of Wales, was killed in a car crash in France. During the following week, there was an astonishing outpouring of public grief that surprised everyone. People waited in queues for six or seven hours, off in the rain, in order to sign condolence books. Some who were interviewed on the television made it clear that even they themselves were surprised by their reaction to the news and their sense of grief. This extraordinary grief seemed excessive and even pathological to some. On the Newsnight television programme on the Wednesday following the accident, a psychologist was brought in to analyse the phenomenon. His conclusion that this was an unhealthy response by people who had never known Diana. People were responding to her death almost as if they had known her personally, as if they had been close friends or part of the family. The nation's infatuation with Diana was surfacing in a morbid pathological grief that seemed inexplicable. Like many people, when I heard the news early on Sunday morning, it came as something of a surprise. One does not imagine such things happening to such people. Members of the royal family are usually surrounded by bodyguards and their lives are planned in the most careful way to avoid any dangers such as the one that resulted in Diana's death. But the shock of the news for me was no more than one would expect on hearing of the tragic and untimely death of any well-known public figure. No more shocking than hearing the news of the untimely death of the leader of the Labour Party a few years before. Grief certainly did not enter into it. The public response to Diana's death seemed more astonishing to me than her death itself. What could explain this enormous outpouring of public grief? In the week leading up to her funeral, this show of public feeling developed into a kind of national hysteria. Diana was being treated like some national saviour, whose effect on the life of the nation had been so significant that her death was a national calamity. The Newsnight programme reported that some people had claimed to have seen visions and apparitions of Diana after her death. These are common phenomena in normal personal bereavement. They are understandable when the person experiencing them is a spouse, a close friend or a relative of the dead person. But for people to be grieving in this way over someone who was not personally known to them is highly unusual. It transcends the normal. The psychologist interviewed on the Newsnight programme stated that such delusional experiences in people not personally close to Diana would be considered clinically to be a system of schizophrenia. The reasons for this national grief are no doubt complex and no single explanation will explain the feelings of everyone. Some have suggested 
that Diana represented a kind of rebellion against the establishment that many can identify with. Another explanation that surfaced was that, as a result of Diana's position as a sort of persona non grata in the royal family, she had become an unofficial figurehead for anti-monarchy feelings in the population. There is doubtless some truth in both notions. Others have been helped by the charitable causes she represented. The latter fact certainly explains the sorrow of many, but neither this nor the other theories explain the sorrow of the masses who waited in the queues to sign the condolence books and the tremendous outpouring of grief displayed by the nation. Compared with the masses demonstrating their sense of loss at Diana's death, those who were touched by her work in a personal way are few. Of course, there has always been a cult of royalty in Britain, but again, it is hard to believe that this accounts for the national sense of loss that followed Diana's death. If anything, the cult of the monarchy has been damaged by public sympathy for Diana. What then can explain this intense sense of loss for the great mass of people who experienced it? I think there is an explanation that helps us to understand this national phenomenon. The response to Diana's death must be seen in terms much broader and greater than Diana herself or a mere sense of grief at the death of a well-known and much-loved public figure. The response to Diana's death was a religious phenomenon. Any state or nation needs a national focus, something that gives meaning, coherence and significance to its life and institutions. Britain is disintegrating today because it has abandoned what had previously provided that national focus, that meaning and coherence, a Christian understanding of the meaning and purpose of life, a Christian worldview. Yet, the need for such a focus remains. Man cannot escape this. But, without God, he seeks for the meaning, coherence and significance of life in some element of the created order instead of in the God of Scripture. This is what idolatry is. In Britain, the national focus is no longer a Christian focus. It does not take account of the transcendent being of God and the salvation that he has provided for mankind in the Lord Jesus Christ. Questions concerning the ultimate meaning of existence no longer play a part in our national life. Instead, the national focus is on the mundane, the economic, and particularly the political. People look to the great and the famous, to the state and the party, to their hobbies or their bank balance, or even their annual holiday, anything other than the God of Scripture. And there they seek ultimate meaning and significance for their lives. But these things cannot provide what they are looking for. They will always disappoint. These are gods that feel. False gods always feel. But because so much hope, trust and expectation is placed in these things, when they do fail, their failure has a devastating effect on those who put their trust in them. The failure of society's god or gods causes national calamity, grief and overwhelming sense of loss. The loss of faith that accompanies the fall of a god has a devastating effect on both individual human beings 
and on society. I think this is essentially what has happened with Diana. It explains the visions and apparitions. These are common religious phenomena. And this is how cults are born, from idols. Of course, Diana is now dead, but I suspect the cult of Diana is only just being born and will grow from strength to strength. Already there has been serious discussion on the Sunday programme on Radio 4 as to whether Diana was a saint, with one contributor earnestly contending, quote, of course she is, end quote. But saint is the wrong word entirely. Diana was an idol, a potent symbol of what it means to be rich and famous, the ultimate PC personality, the fairy tale princess. As such, she epitomised what so many desire and aspire to as the ultimate achievement of human life. But when idols fail, the mirage they generate for those who worship them disappears with them. It is the absence in our society of belief in the one who alone can provide ultimate meaning, coherence and significance for the life of the nation that explains the response to Diana's death. Without God, people seek for meaning in the ephemeral, in what cannot last, and thus in what must ultimately disappoint. This happens even with Christians sometimes. I remember many years ago hearing a lady stand up in a Christian meeting and give her, quote, testimony, unquote, to her faith in a well-known evangelical charismatic minister who had just died unexpectedly at an early age. She said her faith was shaken by his death. Why? She did not say. She could only express her shock and grief that God would permit such a thing to happen. She had made an idol of this man. Did she think that God would not permit his servant to die? Obviously. Her faith was not in God, but in man. When their gods fail, the people are crushed in spirit. It is a personal loss to them, not because they knew the people who are so idolised personally, but because those people have taken a place in their lives that only the God of creation can fill. A real, personal relationship with the person in question is irrelevant. One can make an idol out of a piece of stone or wood. Personal interaction is not necessary. The decisive factor is the place the idol takes in one's life, the significance it has in determining the meaning of one's life. In some respects, it is more difficult to idolise those whom one knows personally. Their defects get in the way. When such defects are not perceived, the idol's virtues can be romantically exaggerated ad infinitum. Lack of a personal, meaningful relationship with the idol is preferable. Regardless of the fact that people do not know those whom they idolise, therefore, it is a personal tragedy when they die, and it is a personal tragedy because gods are not supposed to fail or die. They are supposed to be immortal. But only the God of the Christian scriptures is immortal, and he does not share his glory with another. It is God alone who provides ultimate meaning, coherence and significance to the lives of human beings and societies. No one and nothing else can do this. No cause or ideology, however great, and certainly 
no mere human being. It is in terms of God that understanding must be sought in all things. Those who grieved over Diana, whether personal friends and family, or the masses who queued to sign the condolence books, can only find meaning for their own and Diana's life and death when they turn to God. Without such a response, no lessons will be learned and no sense can be made of such tragic deaths. It would seem that Diana was not a believer. She was dubbed by Tony Blair, quote, the people's princess, unquote. Unfortunately, her own lifestyle and the breakdown of her marriage was hardly an example to the nation. True, she worked for many good causes, but this does not excuse her. It does not excuse any man's sin. We are all guilty and stand condemned by our works. The good we do cannot atone for the evil we do. Only Christ can do that. But the royal family must give a lead to the nation, and a credible lead at that. Their position does not excuse their dissolute behaviour. It makes the burden of their responsibility greater. From those to whom much is given, much is expected. In this sense, our present monarchy has been a failure in some important respects. Queen Elizabeth II has given her name to legislation that has legalised the murder of millions of unborn children. Doubtless some will say that she had to do this because there would have been a constitutional crisis and the monarchy would have been abolished if she had not given royal consent. But this is a poor argument. In the first place, it has not been proved and secondly, if that had been the outcome, surely it would have been better to surrender the monarchy than to preside over such obscene legislation. My response to such an objection is simply this. Do moral principles count for nothing against the monarchy? There is a king whose law is higher than that of parliament and to whom even the queen owes allegiance before all else and indeed to whom she swore allegiance before all else when she was crowned. Preservation of the monarchy, it seems to me, surely does not take precedence over faithfulness to the coronation oath, which was taken in the sight of God and before the whole nation. Betrayal of the coronation oath is treason against God and a betrayal of the nation. But the nation cares very little now for those principles that give meaning and coherence to our national life. Idols are in vogue today and idols can do no wrong in the eyes of their devotees. The problem is, idols do not last they always fail. The ephemeral, the political and the economic, the lives of the rich and the famous, cannot provide meaning and purpose in life, nor can they provide meaning and purpose for a nation. And God does not tolerate idols. He brings them down. Idols are for destruction. Diana's death was a tragedy, but there are greater tragedies occurring every day in our society fail even to get a mention in the media. It seems quite extraordinary from a moral point of view that the nation could mourn in this way over Diana and yet blithely ignore the holocaust of murdered unborn children since the passing of the Abortion Act. This shows that the nation has lost its ability to reason morally, which, I suppose, is not surprising given the fact that both the use of reason 
and the practice of morality are at an all-time low in our society today. This situation is one that can only be explained by national apostasy and idolatry. But it is also one that portends the judgment of God upon the nation for its apostasy. There is, therefore, a cautionary tale for the nation in all this. When a number of Jews were killed in the accidental collapse of a tower in Jerusalem, Jesus asked the people, quote, Those eighteen upon, the, upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? End quote. Luke chapter 13, verse 4. Obviously, they were not, and their deaths were not to be construed as personal judgment in this sense. A false conclusion to which men are too often all too ready to jump. But Jesus did not leave it there. He applied the lesson. We all stand condemned of our sin before God, and the wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. Therefore, said Jesus, quote, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Unquote. Luke chapter 13 verse 5. This is a lesson that the nation needs to heed. We are, as a nation, perilously close to the end, and soon we may be cast into the fire. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.